The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Thank you, Charles. The passage this morning for the sermon will come for the next passage there, Luke chapter 2. Verses, one, or through, verses 8 through 20. This is now the fourth week of Advent. Advent means waiting. We are uh, waiting on Christ. He, uh, Christmas morning is the celebration of the birth of Christ. And so this year for Advent, we did something. We, we took the four angel episodes, right? Three from Luke, one from Matthew. If you'll remember the first week, we looked at Gabriel meeting Zechariah in the holy place and surprising him and saying, you'll have a child. That child, John the Baptist. The next week we saw Gabriel once again go to Mary and tell her that she would be with child as a virgin and that child would be the Messiah. Last week, shame preached from Matthew where Joseph in a dream was visited by an angel telling him that his wife or his uh, future wife is with child, but this is miraculous and his name should be Jesus. And then this week we are looking at, obviously, the shepherd story. And the question on our mind is why this story? The first three make sense, right? Zechariah needed to know about this prophecy, so he'd go and obey, right? Uh, Mary needed to know why there was going to be a baby growing in her womb, and of course Joseph needed to know in order to not divorce her quietly. But why are we having the shepherds with this story? Why are they being told? And that's what we're going to explore this morning in the passage. We're going to explore why does God want to tell them, and also why particularly shepherds. So, if you would now turn in your passage scriptures, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 8, right where Charles left off, and go to verse 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing miracle that you would not only come, but that you would come as a lonely child. You would send your son to save us from our sins. And here we have shepherds, Lord, lowly outcasts that you would use as a means to proclaim the good news. I pray this morning we would identify with them and recognize that we are saved by your grace, that that would actually be the heart behind the season for us. In your name we pray, amen. Many, all of us have seen these videos uh, of people being surprised. I think the two most popular videos of surprise are, one, I've just seen a lot of these on Facebook, they're very moving. I'm sure John, the, the guys returning from the battlefield and uh, surprising somebody, like a child, uh, a significant other, a parent, in, in, the, in the embrace. Another popular video that you see of surprise is when a, ch- a daughter, or a son and daughter will tell their parents they're expecting a baby. And you see these, re- these reactions, like on America's Funny Some Videos, and it's pretty funny. And it's moving, and it's funny, and it's exciting because we relate to what's going on in the, in the story. Even if it's not our story, even if we aren't expecting, or even if we're not the one returning, we get it. We get the connection. And this is what's interesting about this passage. I asked the question at the beginning, why did God do this? And it's like God wanted to video, he wanted to share the good news. When you get to this passage, the other three angel announcements were ahead of the birth. But this one, the birth had already taken place, and God was ready to share the news. He's ready to come out of, here's what I've been doing. Here's what's been going on from day one, and it's exciting. And yet he chose these shepherds. And we're going to go through this passage bit by bit. I know you're excited by that. We'll do it in a very uh, good amount of time. But what we're going to see is that Jesus is our only hope, and he brings true joy. That Even these shepherds were filled with joy at the proclamation of Jesus. And the reason that that may be obvious, but I want you to understand it's abstract a little bit in this passage. I mean, it's a baby. It's a manger. It's 30 years away from the significant events of the cross, and yet still, for them, they had joy. And for us, it's 2,000 years ago, or it's the future, but we can be filled with joy even now because of what Christ has done for us. That's our hope, so let's dig in. We're going to look at three things. Who was the message given to? What was this message, and what's the response? So who was this message given to, right? Shepherds. Most of us understand what a shepherd is. They care for sheep. Um, But why did God choose that class, that job title, those individuals, of all the people he could have chosen? And really, there's not a perfect answer. Scholars have ideas. We're going to pick a couple of ideas out. But it's really hard to know exactly why. But here's the first most common reason. David which is, by the way, where the baby was born, the city of David, Bethlehem. God is constantly referring to the city of David and David as the father. David was a shepherd, right? And that was important. Uh, In fact, if you remember the story when uh, Samuel went to find and anoint the king, he went through seven other brothers before he got to the runt. And where was the runt of the family? Out, tending the sheep. But it was those skills that led David to be the great king. So there's something in being a shepherd that, that... is important and powerful even in the kingdom of God. Of course, Jesus himself is the great shepherd of the sheep. So there's this sort of mighty 
reason for being a shepherd, right? A mighty reason why this was a great type of job, a great type of individual to select. But there's the other side, and that is this. Shepherds are not the brightest, you know, sharpest tool in the shed, maybe, you might say. They, uh, they're not educated, right? They're boring. They just sit around all day watching sheep, you might. But they also are unclean, physically, dirty. But there's another aspect of their uncleanliness that's even more important. They were unclean ceremonially. That's a hard word to say. So here you have these people who their whole job kept them from really being able to participate in the religion of Judaism. And so they were lowly, they were outcasts, they are unclean. And God is coming to them with this message that they were the ones who are going to be told about peace and joy in a Savior. So how do we relate with these shepherds? Do you see yourself like, the, like this dichotomy? Powerful, amazing, right? And also weak. Um, one, there's a book called Samson and the Pirate Monks about addiction. And the author says the problem with pride is pride at one and the same moment makes you feel like you're the loser at the center of the universe. It's sort of a juxtaposition. On one hand, I have it all together. I'm the most important person. I'm going to survive. It's all about me. That's pride. On the other hand, I'm ashamed. I'm, I know that deep down I'm, I'm a loser. There's that tendency. We all have sort of this dichotomy in our flesh. Now, that's not where you want to be. I'm not suggesting that's where you should be. But that's what pride is like. And I'm not going to put that on the shepherds, but I will say if you were a shepherd, you're going to be struggling with this. On one hand, you're valiant. You're like King David. You're taking care of these sheep. You're protecting them, guarding them at night from thieves, from animals that might try to steal them. But also, you're an outcast. You can't even participate in the very religion you support. So that would be an inkling. We're starting to get into the inkling of why um, shepherds were chosen. But now we'll look at this message. I think it gives us even more clarity. The angel shows up, right? Imagine the scene. These, these shepherds are sitting around bored. It's evening, so they've come back together. Their flocks are nearby. And here comes an angel of the Lord. And it says, He appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That's huge, right? That's big. Remember in the Old Testament, Moses, who we're studying even now, we'll pick back up in the spring, would go and be with the Father, would be with Yahweh, not seeing him personally, of course, but the one he would radiate when he would come back among the people. And it was so bright he had to wear a veil. And so here are these shepherds, and all of a sudden they're surrounded, not only by this angel, but this glory of God, and they are, as we talked about in one of the songs, afraid. They're, they're just shocked, right? And what was the message? The message was, and we've heard this, we've sang it already, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Joy. That's the message. Joy is coming. Listen to what John Calvin says in his commentary. He says, These words show us first that until men have peace with God and are reconciled to Him through the grace of Christ, all the joy that they experience is deceitful and of short duration. Ungodly men frequently indulge in frantic and intoxicating mirth, but if there be none to make peace between them and God, the hidden stings of conscience must produce fearful torment. Besides, to whatever extent they may flatter themselves in luxurious indulgence, 
Their own lusts are so many tormentors. It's a very difficult passage to understand, but or to, it's just amazing how even so long ago, Calvin was so right on. The commencement of solid joy, listen to this, is to perceive the fatherly love of God toward us, which alone gives tranquility to our minds. And this joy in which Paul tells us the kingdom of God consists is in the Holy Spirit. So the, shep- the shepherds are sitting there in this condition that they're in, whatever that is, but definitely unclean, especially ceremonially. And here comes the angel of the Lord saying, Joy, I bring good news. There is a Savior that was born today. Now, I guess the question then is, at this time of the year, where's your joy? What are you like right now? If I wandered up to you, maybe invisibly could watch you for a moment during this week, this next week especially, as things get busier and more frantic, are you filled with joy? Is it the kind of joy Calvin talks about, we're intoxicated on the things of this world, or is it joy from the Father? Do we even want that kind of joy? One of the things I'm the most excited about when I think about Christianity is this. It's not about, as Shane shared earlier, doing good. It's about the fact that Jesus has come, that you may be clean, that you may have real joy. Not based on anything you've done, but completely based on what he has done. That's the gospel. And that's what the shepherds understood in that moment. But I think they were so ready to understand it because they were unclean themselves. Do you see yourselves as needing a Savior? Or do you start to think you have it together? Right? Have you you turned Jesus into this thing that maybe you put a manger in your front yard so you've done your good deed for this season. You know, or maybe the Christmas card you chose had a Christian slogan rather than just a worldly slogan. I'm not bashing. Christmas cards are all beautiful. We've seen some great ones. Keep them coming. But what is your hope? Where is your joy? So we move to our, our third point where I want to spend some time is the response to this joy. One of the most amazing things about this passage, and I think the reason so many songs are written about it, is the response to this gospel proclamation. There's a couple of responses, right? We're going to talk about the shepherd's response. We're going to look at Mary's response, the people's response. But let's begin with the very first response. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. I'm going to stop right there. I didn't preach last week, but two weeks ago we looked at Mary. I brought up Francis Schaeffer and how he, in true spirit, his book, True Spirituality, talked about her active passivity. But I want to talk, one of the things he talks about in that book also that's so profound is our, how we misconstrue heaven. We really do think heaven's up, don't we? Where's heaven? It's out there. It's up. And Schaefer is very clear that heaven is not geographically separate like over there. But when you look at Scripture, heaven is, is in our midst. And it's hard to, it's not, I'm not trying to be transcendental. It's not like that. But oftentimes in the Bible, it's when the eyes are open, you see angels around you. And it's like all of a sudden, here's this proclamation for the first time since the sin in the garden. There is a problem. Sin has entered the world. Death has come. All is hopeless except for the baby. And the angels have been waiting and waiting and waiting to announce it. And this angel gets to go to shepherds and say, hey, I've got great news. 
news of great joy, that the Savior has been born. And it's like the, the moment he tells that last word about Jesus in a manger, he finishes that last syllable, boom, heaven opens up. Gaping wide, and the angels are there. They didn't, you know, you go to a program, and, and the children file in, and you wait, and then the next grade, and you wait again, and the next grade, right? It wasn't like that. You didn't have, suddenly, and then the angels kind of filed in and flew down. They were there. It was ripped open, and they started singing in unison. What do they say? Glory to God in the highest, right? Gloria in excelsis Deo. I don't speak Latin. Someone tells me that's where we get that. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. For the first time since the garden, when God walks in the cool of the day, we have a proclamation that heaven and earth have the hope of being reconciled. Isn't that what we find in the Lord's Prayer? On earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that our longing? Is that your longing? Do you want peace? Do you want reconciliation? What is it you want? One of the hardest questions every year at Christmas time. What do you want? Oh, you know, it's very hard, right? Million dollar? I don't know. What do you, like? What do you? Where do I need to begin here? Uh, what's my? Give me my category. Are we talking thirty bucks? You know, what's the limit here? I know last year I talked about Steve Martin's funny skit where he starts off with a few things like, you know, no more sickness. And the priest, and he's talking about wanting all the money in the world, and he gets his flesh takes over. Well, what is it you long for? You can have anything you want. What is it? My guess is the first thing that comes to mind is not this, but it needs to be. Peace. What is peace? Shalom is the Old Testament word for peace. Eternal flourishing. The way things are supposed to be. Tolkien says, making all things sad come untrue. Wiping away the tears. Seeing the brokenness removed. Seeing glory ushered in. Psalm 126 that we sang at the very, uh, that we uh, read together at the very beginning of our worship service. Now I'm fumbling for it. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Our tears are turned into songs of joy. Um, is that your longing? That the desert in Psalm 126 we see turns into a flourishing, beautiful oasis. Is that what you long for in your life? Is that what you hope in? That is what these angels were finally getting to sing. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. Justification. Right there. You are justified. If you are in Christ, you are justified. Not because of something you have done. Not because of something you even believe, though it comes to us by faith through believing, which is a gift of the Spirit. But you are justified because of the work of Christ. In a manger, lay a baby who would be the sheep, who would be the lamb, that would take away the sins of the world. That is what was being proclaimed. That is the message. And heaven was opened up. And you, I would love to see not I'd love to see that, that whole scene. Who wouldn't? We will someday. We'll see that and more. But I'd love to see the look on the shepherds' faces. Just stunned. Probably a st- just stunned. But guess what happened? Whoosh, it went away. It's gone. 
And they're standing there going, wow. Like, what would you say? Did you see that? Wow. What do you want to do now, right? That was awesome. So what do they do? Third point, the response. We already looked at the response of the angels, but what's the response of the shepherds? Quick, let's go to, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go find this baby. Let's go, and they do. And they go to Bethlehem. It's not a big town, and they know what mangers are. They probably know all the mangers of Bethlehem. It didn't take them long. They find a baby in one of these mangers, and it's Jesus. And when they find him, which is the sign that was given to them, that when they found him, that, that by the way, is very, and a very amazing point that I would have, again, we love Hollywood. Star Wars just came out. We're all excited about big box office stuff. Most of us would go, the show's over, right? But they're like, no, no, it's just beginning. Let's go find that baby. And they see this baby in the manger. And it says in verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they show up, they see the baby, and it sounds like they become evangelists. They immediately start telling somebody. I don't know, you remember in John 4 at the, with the woman at the well, once she realized who Jesus was and he knew her whole life, she goes to the town to proclaim who he is. I, I, we're not told that they go all through Bethlehem. Had a crowd already gathered? We're not told. It seems to be more people than Joseph and Mary and the baby. But they became evangelists. And they explained what they had seen. And then in verse 18 in the ESV it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I have to confess, when I first read that I thought, they kind of wondered. The The NIV says they were amazed. And that's the idea. They wondered. They were in wonder. not They were kind of curious. Right? They were in awe. They believed. At least they believed something. We we don't know who these people were. But their response was immediately to be amazed that this baby is the Savior of the world. And then we have Mary's response. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love that. Over and over, or several times you hear that. She's got to raise this child. So she's just pondering. She's amazed, but she's treasuring. She's, she's holding on. And, and more than likely, this story comes from her, doesn't it? Luke, the historian, maybe he talked to the shepherds as well, if they were even known at the time, uh, 30 years later or more. But she, she's the one sharing this story. She's treasuring this up. So what's your response? How do you respond to this? Here's how we relate to these shepherds. The angels aren't in front of us right now. We can't see them, right? The baby is in this manger where we know the story about We know more than they knew, right? We know that he grew up and lived this perfect life. He died a death that, was, that met every necessary standard, and he died on a cross. We know all about him. And here we are 2,000 years later. Are you bored? Are you boring? I ask that a lot. It's a good question. Maybe a better way to say it is, how boring are you? Right? We are boring people, especially with this message. One of the downsides of of having such beautiful music and imagery that we love is that it becomes just symbolism in our mind and for other people. That I love that story about the view, that someone's like, it's just another works-based religion. And it's like, no. No, it's not, you know? 
It's a grace. That's exciting. But the best response of all that I think we need to look at is verse 20. And the shepherds returned. Pause. What would you want? I'm a shepherd. It's a really difficult job. Maybe I'm good at it, but it's hard. I've just been told the Messiah has come. And oh, by the way, me and my buddies are the only ones on earth that saw this proclamation. We bolt to Bethlehem. We see this manger. We're telling people they believe us. Get back. How, how, all of us would be like, let's just build some houses right here. You know? Why don't you build for us? I'll keep telling you what the angels showed me. I'll start painting it. We'll write books about it. We'll, well, it's about me. No. They return to their boring, mundane life. The life you and I return to every day. And that's okay. Right? Justification. The already, the not yet. Longing for glory. Glorification. We're in this in-between stage. We're longing for the return of Jesus, but we're not there yet. So just like the shepherds, we return. The 26th, the day after Christmas, you're back to your work, or maybe it's Monday or whatever this year, 28th, but you're back to work. You're back to doing your normal job, and yet this is still true. And look at what they do when they return. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, they return, and they're definitely talking about the baby they saw in the manger. They saw. They're talking about the heaven being open. But all they had heard, all that had been told to them, what, did they, what were they so excited about? What were they glorifying in that the Word of God was proclaimed and that Jesus is the fulfillment, He is the Messiah? We need Scripture. We need the Word of God. We need the proclamation. We need to feast on it. So how do we act like these shepherds? How do we, in our boring, mundane, everyday existence, and I know I'm being slightly negative just for effect. I get it. Some of you have great lives. But how do we, in that life, live out of the Gospel that was proclaimed 2,000 years ago? What is the, what's the connecting point? So there's one little detail about the shepherds that I didn't tell you earlier. And again, every commentator said this was probably true of these shepherds, and that is this. In that region, if you were a shepherd of a flock, you had a little bit more of a particular job than the regular shepherd somewhere far away, and that the sheep you were actually raising were being sold for the sacrifice. And so when you a baby sheep was being born, a baby lamb, that was a big deal. Because you knew the more unblemished that lamb the more likely you could take that lamb and sell that for the sacrifice in Jerusalem. They knew the value of an unblemished lamb. I think most of us would have said, that's a great baby. That is a beautiful baby. But the shepherd could say, that baby is the lamb of God without blemish who came to take away the sins of the world the most of which I have. I'm a shepherd and I have need of, of forgiveness. Is that your story? Is Jesus really a Savior to you? Is the baby Jesus, in your mind, a lamb that took away the sin of the world? 
How are you viewing Him this season? Are you living with shame and guilt? Are you struggling with sin? So far with those three questions, everybody in this room has to answer yes. You don't have to say it out loud. Every one of us. Guilt and shame and sin. We're not, we don't glorify that. And many of us, we have victory over certain particular sins for seasons and we praise the Lord for that. But our flesh, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, is trying to convince us over and over of this tape going on and on about all the mistakes we make, all the ways that we're worthless, all the struggles we have. Or maybe even worse, that tape is trying to go on and on about how amazing you are, how great you have it, how good your performance is. Both are bad. The only tape we want to be replaying in our mind is the tape that says, Jesus, cling to him. Rest in him. Find life in him. And there is true joy. And there is true true peace. Is that your hope? Is that your story? Is that the tape that is playing over and over in your mind this season? That Jesus is the only hope. Is there joy? I believe, as Calvin said, that the, the manifestation of all of this came when the Spirit came. We actually have a physical, real connection to God that the shepherds didn't even have. We have the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit brings forth new life so that you don't have to have shame. There is no condemnation in Christ. But you have to preach that gospel to yourself. You have to find belief in that gospel. You have to do that through confession of sin, through repentance, joyful repentance. Heavenly Father, forgive me. I've run from You. I've run from You by trying to perform my duty well. You ever confess that sin? Not just the things that are really technicolored and bad, but what about all the ways you're trying to not need Jesus? That is the Gospel. And my prayer is that this Christmas we would come out the other side saying, it was great. Christmas was fun. Saw the family, opened some presents, bought some presents. But what I walked away from is I'm with Jesus. He is my only hope and I feel the joy of His Holy Spirit in me. Let that be our testimony.